0: The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And of course, this sort of reflection isn't something that we do one time, but something we do over and over again, right? Where we find whether we're, we do it while we're taking a walk or we do it while we're doing a formal meditation... But we take the time to soften the heart, to realize, oh my God, there is a sensitive heart here, right? Within that, you know, that itself is a big step, just to slow down enough that to be willing, it feels safe enough to be a vulnerable human being. And then we can map out the very real territory that there's unfinished business in this heart. You know, as opposed to that story we sometimes hear, especially Minnesota, you know, the sort of traditional or <clears throat> northern European culture in Minnesota, this kind of, oh, I'm okay. No, it's fine. <laughs> and it's, it's like, I mean, it, there are many toxic defenses that we human beings use. That's just one of them, Right? to put sort of a nice little positive, sp- I'm fine, I'm fine. How about them twins? You know, to change Then we change the subject. Because we don't, we don't want to acknowledge that actually, as a human being, as a sensitive being, there's this very omnipresent reality of vulnerability and exposure and sensitivity. And to those of us who have been good at avoiding it, it becomes even, that territory becomes even more scary. I mean, it's one of the nice things about a community like Common Ground is that we have this permission to be sensitive and to acknowledge we have this unfinished business and to begin to map it out and to sort of know where the sore points are, the wounds are. And then when we can learn to be more intimate, like to really see that the any particular wound, unfinished business, is a beloved teacher, not a problem that i got to get rid of, but it's a teacher, and it teaches us these three insights. The mind is involved with suffering. Our mind, the habits of the mind, is directly complicit in suffering. And that, um, what was the second one? This is why you write notes. Second insight. Oh, yeah. That w- it's like really getting the difference because we can misinterpret the moment of letting go of ill will as if I don't have to remain being a sensitive creature, right? Like we go right to the absolute. Like ill will doesn't make sense. But the relative still makes sense. Like I've got to navigate, I've got this tender body. I've got this tender emotional body and I still have to navigate all the power dynamics in the world, right? That there are hungry beasts that want to eat me up, you know, some version of that, whether it's in at work or, you know, in sports or whatever, whatever sort of dynamics we're part of in our social settings, in our just worldly settings. We have to navigate that. So just because we, like Oville, will... Doesn't mean we don't have to navigate power and navigate life situations with skill. Doesn't mean we stop taking care of ourselves. That's the second insight. That we can do both the absolute, the deepening of the absolute insight that ill will is not helpful, love is the way, and still exist in the relative world of having to earn a living and navigate. Those of you who are parents of teenagers or soon-to-be teenagers, or you know, whatever it is, that we can do both. And then the last insight is third insight. Yeah, to to basically, it's the maturing of the insight um, because we'll fall back into the lawsuits because it creates a sense a strong sense of self. So the third insight is realizing. We don't need a strong sense of self that mostly is built around our lawsuits, the unfinished business in our life. Right? How many of us have mind politics, Right? read the news, listened to the news, to rev up our self-righteousness and our hate and our holier-than-thou and, and basically keep reestablishing the sense of self and separation because of that. Well, maybe we can have a don't-know mind. Maybe we can let our mind more and more often be unformed in this whole world of um, healing the heart. And then th- the last point I made in the, gu- in the guided reflection is just to, just to repeat to yourself how simple it is. That, and not a demand, but just a question. Can, can the heart... Does the heart need to hold on to ill will? Can ill will be abandoned? Is ill will necessary? I mean, there are obviously different ways to ask this question. But just this very persistent challenge, not harsh challenge, but coming out of compassion. Do I need ill will to be a skillful human being? Whatever we look at, like a particular relationship, do I need ill will here? You're in traffic. Do I need ill will here? You're raising your kid. Do I need ill will here? You're navigating the territory with your partner. Is ill will helpful? Is it adding, contributing here? You know, politics or social activism. Is, is there a place for ill will? Does it add value? And then to really look. This is a reflection. So we're not like looking for the answer. We're looking to study it directly in our experience. What does ill will contribute? What does it take away? So we're going to break in small groups um, in just a minute, but I want to just kind of cover a few more elements, principles in the practice that I probably touched on briefly, but I just want to make sure that they're um, talked about. So the first point I want to make is just a little history, you know, and the way the Buddha taught. He didn't talk a lot about forgiveness. I mean, there were a few things built in to the tradition. One of the most central and foundational teachings from the Buddha is this importance of uh, in Pali, the language it's sila, S-I-L-A, and it gets translated as integrity or ethical conduct or morality. But you know we have a lot of baggage around those kinds of words so it's it's really this deepening value of non-harming right this eventually in moments probably for each of us it's been really unshakable right where we really see that more than anything my heart values not causing unnecessary harm right have you had moments like that where it just it was really clear and sometimes in surprising ways where, you know, you could squash a mosquito, but you just have a, a sense that even though it looks quite different, that being is actually not that different than this being. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you caught the article in the New York Times recently about ticks. It was a pretty big article. It seemed like it was on the front page of the digital version of the New York Times. Or you know, uh, got highlighted at least, but you know it's just scary stuff. It just seems so natural to hate ticks, to be afraid of ticks, and this is that territory about dropping ill will, but still taking care of ourselves, like not wanting to get Lyme's disease. And so there's so many places like this. So to see this value of non-harming. And to see how the the work of forgiveness is a a very natural expression of this deepening value. Like a value that has real power. That makes us want to look at our choices when we're buying things. Whether buying groceries or buying clothes or buying other products. What does this deepening value of non-harming look like in that place of our life? What does the Deepening appreciation and value, because we're drawing some joy. Like it's the bliss of blamelessness, as the Buddha calls it. So Sila is not like a big heavy should. That's why our programming around morality, we have to jettison. And we have to see morality as a direct, immediate pathway to happiness. So when we commit, when we deepen this value in non-harming, it's because we're feeling enlivened by this. So this might be something you share in your small group in just a few minutes. It's just how this value of non-harming is alive and well or not so alive and well in you and then how it, your interest in forgiveness has roots into this value of not wanting to contribute to the, your own harm, the harm of your heaviness in your own life and harming, causing pain for others. What healthy, balanced human being, human mind, would actually want another living being to suffer? Right? I mean, just pick up immediately in your mind right now somebody you think deserves to suffer. <laughs> right? But then when we reflect from a more balanced place, we may very clearly want them to stop harming other people. Right? or want ticks to find a way to not spread Lyme's disease. But do we want the tick to suffer? Do we want the politician to suffer? I mean, I know reflexively we might say yes, but when we're just looking, when we're not feeling threatened in that moment, when we're feeling relatively safe, do we actually want another living being to suffer? So this is something to share in the small group like what is your mind, your heart's relationship to this value of non-harming and then what does how does that then play out around forgiveness around lawsuits that you have with yourself you know I'm just using lawsuits as sort of a figure of speech yourself. They use it a lot this one author uses it a lot with the I Ching. When and I have used the I Ching over the years this way of this system in ancient chinese culture of just understanding the unfolding of life it's like a lot of these old ancient systems enneagram just kind of can open up like a re- way of reflecting on your own life and uh, they often she translates some term in the I Ching, this ancient text has lawsuits and just that habit we have feel so justified with our lawsuits Maybe this is a good place. There's so much, you know, this could be a lifelong workshop. (laughs) But this gives us about 15 or 20 minutes for the small groups. So we thought for this first, we'll have a more substantial, we're actually three small groups today. This one we're about to have. Then at lunch, Wynn and I will encourage you to break into small groups while you have your lunch. And those of you who have forgot to bring your bag lunch today, When you come back, you'll meet with other people who had to go out and get a lunch, come back. So we'll we'll figure that out later. And then later in the afternoon, we'll actually send you to different places in the building for your small group. And maybe some of you will want to do that just so it isn't so loud in this room. But I think for this first time round, we'll just use people around you. And let's just keep it, anything that I brought up today, you can reflect on when it's your turn to share. But if you don't have anything, then go right to reflecting out loud for the two or three people that are with you. What is your heart, your mind's relationship to the value of non-harming? How, does, how has your appreciation or value around not harming yourself or other living beings, how has it actually expressed itself in your life, and how has it expressed itself in terms of forgiveness or non-forgiveness? For example, what's in the way of that value then finding its way to a place where you're not able to forgive, where you're holding resentment toward yourself or toward another? Okay? And then remember... Yeah, yeah, I'm just going there. Yeah. So it's nice to sit close together so that uh, you don't have to talk loudly because, you know, if one group starts to talk loudly, then all the other groups start to talk loudly. Decide the order, make sure you know each other's names, so you might even want to introduce yourself. It's also a nice time to say something around the pronouns you prefer. Some of you may not have heard this, but uh, especially in the younger adult culture, um, there's really a, been a, a pretty pronounced change, or at least it's just more on the surface of our culture, where people, uh, not an insignificant in our community, group of people don't feel comfortable with the binary pronouns, the he and him and the she and her. So it's just a nice gift to people uh, who aren't comfortable with those pronouns for everyone just to say what pronouns they're comfortable with. So some people, for, for example, prefer they and them. They're not, they don't feel us in terms of gender as fitting neatly into the category of being a he or being a she okay so that's a nice thing to do right at the beginning take a few it just takes a few seconds just to see what pronoun so that at the end when there's an open discussion you're not referring to somebody with a pronoun that that doesn't make sense to them and then as M- when was just reminding me there's a whole art it's really a meditation about how you do the sharing so when it's your turn you get two or three minutes just to share and you get those two or three minutes even if you don't have anything to say So then silently, all three or four of you, you're holding that space of silence. You're making, as best you can, everyone feel safe with that space of silence until you have something to say. So you just keep reflecting on the topic of non-harming and forgiveness and how that looks in your life and what's in the way of it operating in your life or anything else that seems relevant from the discussion thus far. You just keep reflecting on it, and then if you still have time, you bring it up. And part of the way we hold that safe space is just stay grounded in your body. Feel safe with the experience of your body sitting there. Have a peaceful, kind relationship with your body. And that s- tends to expand to create safety for everybody in the small groups. Then each person will have two to three minutes. If you're within earshot, Wyn and I will be ringing the bell. Some of you will be in spaces maybe where you won't hear So then just time yourselves. Each person gets two or three minutes. And then there will be about five or so minutes for just an open discussion. That's the time to ask clarifying uh, questions if you didn't understand what someone was pointing to or to share a similar experience. But when it's your formal sharing, you're not commenting on somebody else's sharing at that point. You're just, as Wynn said earlier in the day, speaking directly from your practice. So any questions about that? So when you break into groups of three or four now, don't immediately go to people you know. Just find people around you. Decide if you want to stay in this place, whether you want to go to one of the other rooms in the building. It's uh, 1047. We have about 20 minutes. So we'll come back, let's say, um, and we're going to have a break. So Wynn and I will ring the bell, then start finishing up, and then you can have a little stretch break. Use the toilet and we'll come back about 20 after um, 11. Sound good? Any other things we should say? Okay, any questions about that? Nuts and bolts, yeah, Robin? Yeah, for anybody within earshot. Yeah, yep. Same question? Great, so stay on the lookout for people who aren't being included and we... Align your group so that everyone feels, because otherwise we'll have some forgiveness work to do, (laughs) even about breaking into small groups. So go ahead and do that now, and then find a place for your group.